0: Today we are continuing our series called Jesus, which is really just an in-depth look at our Savior through the lens of the Christmas story. We started back in week one by looking at some of those amazing messianic prophecies in a message called Jesus Predicted. Then in week two, we looked at the unique way God presented his Son to the world. He kind of broke every rule in the book want to be honest about it. That message was called Jesus Presented. Last week we saw the threat Jesus was under from King Herod and how God took care of him through that period. That message was called Jesus Protected. And today we're going to swing the spotlight around and shine it on Mary and Joseph in a message called Jesus Parented. How many of you remember a television program called Nanny 911? Does anybody remember that? Yeah. It was on about 10 years ago. It was on for a few seasons. It was a reality show about parents who had unmanageable children. I'm talking about kids that were completely out of control, and their parents were at a complete loss to know what to do with them. And so the premise of the show is that these exasperated parents would call a Nanny 911. They would call a nanny, a child-rearing expert, who would come into the home and attempt to get the child under control and bring some sanity back to the household. Now, I could never watch that show for more than just a few minutes because it sent my blood pressure through the roof. Seeing how those kids acted made me think that maybe Mark Twain was right when he said that when a baby is born, you should put it in a barrel and seal up the barrel and feed the child through a hole in the side of the barrel. Then when the child turns 13, you should plug up the hole. Some of you parents who've never heard that are going, wait a minute, that's an idea. Parenting is hard. Parenting uh, can be exasperating. Not long ago, the Huffington Post published some real tweets from real parents about their struggles with their kids and, and, and parenting. And I want to read some of those to you. These are real tweets from real people. Wendy Ahrens tweeted, I just changed our Netflix password so my teenager has to come out of his room and talk to me. It's an idea. Not another Pinterest mom tweeted, Well, my toddler throws the restaurant's food on the floor, too, so at least I know it's not my cooking. A guy who calls himself Dad and Buried tweeted, Whoever called them amusement parks obviously never took his kids to one. Marilyn and I laughed about that because we were out at Disney this week to see the Candlelight Processional, and we never saw so many bawling and squalling kids in our lives at the happiest place on earth. Stephen Isserlis tweeted, when your children are teenagers, it's important to have a dog so that someone in the house is happy to see you. But my favorite comes from somebody named Natasha. She said, my husband and I decided we don't want kids. We will be telling them tonight. Pat Williams, who's retired from the Orlando Magic, had 18 children. Four biological children and 14 uh, adopted children. He was asked in a TV interview one time, um, what it's like to have 18 kids. He said, well, let me put it this way. I'm starting to understand why some species of animals eat their young. I love kids, but they have to be at least somewhat under control. The little monsters they had on 9911, the ones that, you know, completely disrespected their parents at every turn, drove me crazy. The only thing that drove me crazier than those kids were their parents for letting them act that way. I heard a woman say one time that Mary and Joseph had it so easy. Because they literally had a perfect child. And you know, that kind of makes sense if you think about it. If Jesus was without sin, and he was, um, that means he never sassed or talked back to his parents. He never ignored them when they told him to clean up his room or pick up his toys. He never complained when they gave him chores to do. They never got that classic teenage eye roll. That every parent gets, if you have a teenager, oh, brother, Like, you are the stupidest person alive. You ever got that look? I don't think they ever did. Now, I don't know if they had a nanny 911 um, office in first century Nazareth, but if they did, I'm pretty sure they never got a call from Mary and Joseph. But does that mean that parenting Jesus was easy? Was it a piece of cake? I don't think so. Let me illustrate what I'm talking about by by sharing with you two incidents out of Jesus' life that I think illustrate the the challenge that Mary and Joseph had as parents of Jesus. The first one is found in Matthew chapter 2. I'll begin reading at verse 13. It says, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. Now, we we talked about the Herod part of the Christmas story last week, and I don't want to plow that ground again, except I'd like for us just to think about it for a second from Mary and Joseph's point of view. How would you feel if you knew that someone was desperately trying to find your baby in order to kill it? And what if you knew that that person was very powerful and had great wealth and all kinds of resources at his disposal? Don't you think knowing that might cause your stress level to spike a little bit? It wouldn't mind. Even if I had faith in God, it would trouble me to know that there were people out there who were looking for my child, relentlessly, constantly, obsessively, searching, trying to find my child so they could kill it. We have some new parents in this church. And if you're one of those new parents, I know that you have all kinds of hopes and dreams for your baby, and maybe worries, too. But the one thing you don't have to worry about is someone seeking, trying to find your baby so they can kill? It. The second incident I want to mention is at the end of Luke chapter two. Uh, this is when Jesus was twelve years old. So we're jumping ahead a little bit in the story. His parents lost track of him. Uh, they were traveling from Jerusalem to Nazareth in a caravan. And they assumed that Jesus was just playing somewhere with the other children, somewhere along the way in the caravan. Um, But they discovered that wasn't the case, uh, that he was missing. And so they began a frantic search. I'll pick up the story in Luke 2 at verse 45. It says, when they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this thing to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what it meant. One of the things that makes parenting difficult is that your kids eventually get to the age where they think they know everything. If you've ever had a teenager in your house, you know how this works. They get to the place where they think they know everything. And it's hard to parent a child who thinks he or she knows everything. Well, imagine how much harder it would be to be the parent of a child who really does know everything. And that's the situation that Mary and Joseph were in. There had to be times, this was obviously one of them, where they felt hopelessly inferior to their own son. Even by the age of 12. He was already thinking and talking about things that were completely over their heads. Friends, I agree that Mary and Joseph were blessed in the sense that they didn't have some wild kid that they had to try to control. But I do think they had other concerns and frustrations that were very real and very unique that made their job pretty difficult. And so instead of just writing them off as a couple of lucky parents who had it so easy, I think we need to pay even closer attention to them. What I see when I look at Mary and Joseph is a beautiful example of faithfulness. That's the word that comes to my mind when I think about them, faithfulness. And I want to show you why. There are two critical moments in their lives as parents where they were faithful, and that faithfulness made all the difference. And I want to talk to you about those two moments because we're all going to face them, and it has nothing to do with parenting. You are going to face these moments whether you have kids or not. And you may face these moments multiple times during your life. So let's talk about it. First of all, Mary and Joseph were faithful when they felt bewildered. At what point in this story do you think they felt bewildered? I think they felt bewildered from the very beginning. From the moment the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary to tell her she was going to have a baby. Uh, Look at it again, Luke 1, starting at verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now look at this. It says, confused and disturbed. You could just drop the word bewildered in there. Confused, disturbed, she's bewildered. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Now what's interesting is that the angel goes on to explain what's going to happen, but that didn't help with Mary's bewilderment because what he told her was that she was going to have a baby. And Mary's response was exactly what we would have expected. She said but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. And so Gabriel goes on and explains how it's going to happen, but that didn't help much because Mary knows how babies are made. And she knows that what Gabriel is talking about is a real departure from protocol. And so she's confused. She's bewildered. She's got all kinds of unanswered questions. But what she does in that moment is makes a statement of faith. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Did she understand it? No. She had all kinds of questions. But she said, I'm just going to obey. Friends, at this point in the story, if you're paying attention, you can learn a lesson that will help you the rest of your life. Here it is. When you feel bewildered by what's happening around you, When you don't fully understand what's going on or what you need to do, go back to your core values and do what you know. Now, the problem with a lot of people when they feel bewildered, when they feel overwhelmed, is that they won't budge. They won't go forward. They won't go backward. They won't go sideways. They won't go anywhere until they get answers. And I've talked to hundreds of people like this over the years. People will say to me they're going through stuff in their lives and they're feeling overwhelmed and they say, "Preacher, why is this happening to me? Why is God allowing this to happen to me? Where is he anyway? Why isn't he answering my prayers?" And they have all these questions and they will not budge till they get some answers. Listen, when you have a lot of those kind of really big overwhelming questions, the best thing you can do is set them aside and just knuckle down and do what you And what you know to do, you know beyond any doubt, what God wants you to do is obey Him. That's what Mary and Joseph decided. Boy, they had big questions. They had all kinds of questions. But they decided, you know what, we don't understand everything that's going on here, but we're just going to obey. See, friends, some questions are unanswerable. Some situations are so big, so complicated, that they are beyond our reach. You might be in a situation like that right now. I was reading uh, not long ago about a lady, a single mom. She had two kids. She was working to support them. She was going to school in in addition to working a full-time job uh, to try to better herself. She wanted to get a degree so she could get a better job. She said that she worked 15 to 16 hours a day, every day, trying to get everything done that she needed to do. Finally, at the age of 34, on the very day she finished her last class so she could get her degree, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. You think she didn't have some questions? Her testimony was that she spent the next week doing nothing but crying and looking up at the sky and saying, Some questions are unanswerable. And the best thing you can do when you run into one is set it aside and just do what you know. And what you know to do is to obey God. Let Him worry about the big stuff. You just knuckle down and handle what's right in front of you. And that's what Mary and Joseph did. And you know what? Everything turned out okay. All those big questions that they had in the beginning, they eventually got answered. And I believe that's what you'll discover in your own life. You've got all these big questions, all these complicated questions, all these questions that don't seem to have any answers. If you will just be faithful and live your life every day being faithful to God, one of these days you're going to wake up and think, Oh, wow, so many of those questions were answered along the way. Mary and Joseph were faithful when they felt bewildered. Secondly, they were faithful when they felt intimidated. Now, I've been intimidated a number of times in my life. One of the times I was uh, a college senior, and in order to get my preaching degree, I had to preach a senior sermon. Uh, to the entire student body. That wasn't really what intimidated me because I knew my classmates were just as ignorant as I was. What was intimidating about it was that the faculty was going to be in the audience. All my professors, all these people that had 20, 30, 40 years of theology and preaching and ministry experience, I, a 21-year-old kid, was supposed to stand up there and preach can you imagine a short order cook flipping burgers in a greasy spoon, telling Paula Dean how to bake a pie? Can you imagine a high school literature student telling John Grisham how to write a novel? That's how I felt. What am I doing? here? So think about Mary and Joseph. Nowhere does the Bible say they felt intimidated by the challenge of parenting Jesus, but how could they not? There had to have been moments and scenarios where they felt hopelessly unqualified and inadequate. For example, can you picture Mary talking to a five or six-year-old Jesus and telling him how God created the world? And then suddenly thinking, wait, you were there. You created the world son, why don't you just tell me how it happened? Wouldn't that have been an amazing moment? Or what about when she was saying her prayers at night? You know, when we pray, we have a tendency to lift our faces toward the heavens, and we just kind of sense that that's where God is. But what if she was praying, and it suddenly dawned on her that God was asleep in the other room? That Jesus, her son, the living God, was asleep in the other room? you think she paused and maybe turned and faced the bedroom and prayed? Or what about when Jesus came home from school in the afternoon? You know, every parent in the world says, get in there and do your homework. How do you tell a kid to go do his homework when he already knows everything there is to know? What about when she needed a little help around the house? Jesus, get in here and dry these dishes. And then it dawned on her, she's giving God orders. What I'm saying is that there must have been daily, perhaps hourly, reminders to Mary and Joseph that they were into something that was way over their heads. And let's be honest, many people, when they feel intimidated, when they feel inferior, when they feel inadequate, they want to bail. They want to get out from under that feeling because it is a terrible thing to feel inadequate to the job you've got and, and, and a challenge that's been given to you, and you just don't feel like you're up to it. But Mary and Joseph did not bail. They remained faithful to their calling. And I think the only way they were able to do that, the only way they were able to keep going under that incredible burden of inferiority and inadequacy was by constantly replaying in their minds something the angel Gabriel said to Mary when he first appeared to her and told her all this stuff. He said to her in Luke 137, Mary, just remember, nothing is impossible with God. And I just think that little statement must have played on a loop in their minds. Day after day, moment after moment when they felt bewildered, when they felt intimidated, when they felt unqualified to do this job, they must have just said it over and over again, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. Friends, what we see in Mary and Joseph is not a classic example of parenting. What we see in Mary and Joseph is a classic example of God did not need them to be genius parents like some nanny 911 expert. He just needed them to be faithful to the task. He did not need them to have all the answers to all the questions. He just needed them to get up every day and take good care of his son. And you know what? He needs the same thing from you and me. Sometimes we feel bewildered by things that are going on around us. Sometimes we we feel inadequate to do some of the things that we feel like God is calling us to do. Listen, God does not need uh, need for you to understand everything that's going on. God does not need you to have the answer to every question. God does not need you to feel super about your abilities as compared to your responsibilities. What He does need for you to do is just be faithful. And here's why. Because when the kingdom of God suffers and Satan wins a great victory, it's never because God has had a power failure. It's never because the word of God has proven untrue. When the kingdom of God suffers and Satan wins a great victory, it's always because one of us was unfaithful. And that's why every day you need to get up First thing, before you do anything else, you need to say to yourself, today, God is counting on me." Today, there's going to be a moment, maybe several moments, when what I say or what I do is going to really matter to the kingdom. You need to say that to yourself every day. I need to say it to myself every day. Because the one thing God needs from us is not to have all the answers. It's not to to feel good about our abilities. What God needs from us is what He needed from Mary and Joseph. He needs us.